0: Thank you for joining us today. For more information about the church, campus locations, service times, and more, visit echoeygt.com. Also, stay in touch with us on social media by liking us on Facebook and following us on Instagram, at echoeygt. Now let's repair our hearts as we go into the message. Well, good morning again. Listen, week four of our sermon series on June Family Month. It is my first time preaching in uh, three or four months with people in the room. So if I'm a little rowdy today... I'm a little excited. Everybody's seen the meme, right? On Facebook, it's like first day back to church after quarantine, and and the guy's running down the aisles. He's like, ah, like hitting everybody's hands. You know, we're doing everything in nice social distancing and in our appropriate spaces. But listen, if I get a little excited, it might be the Holy Ghost, and it might just be I'm happy to be back uh, preaching to some people. So if you're in the room this morning, can you just give God praise today? Come on, the psalmist said, I was happy when they said unto me... Let us go to the house of the Lord. I will never take for granted the gathering of believers ever again. So listen, turn with your Bibles with me to the book of Proverbs. And we are reading pretty much 95% of all of our stuff today is from Proverbs. Because we're going to look today what Proverbs says about our family. And specifically, I want to talk... About marriage. I want to talk on, on, on what Proverbs, what the Bible has to say about marriage. You know, I love June family month because in June family month, uh, we take this time to talk on the family and, and we, hear, we really believe at Glad Tidings that healthy families lead to healthy communities and healthy communities is what's going to lead to a healthy nation. And in this season, and I mean, we're asking God to send revival to our nation, send revival to our city, send revival to our land. But how many of you know it starts as individuals and it starts in our family together? It starts in our friendships. It starts in our relationships. It starts with how we treat the people right next to us that are closest to us in life. It starts with how we treat our neighbors across the street with how we treat our coworkers and our, and our bosses. So on this idea of marriage, I want you to understand marriage isn't man's idea. Marriage is God's idea. Like it wasn't something that as humans, like we created and we just said, you know, it would be good for us just to spend our lives with somebody else and spend our lives with, 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 the, with the love of our life. No, this is God's idea. Marriage was ordained by God. Marriage is, is God-established. In fact, in Proverbs 18, verse 22, it says this, The man who finds a wife finds a treasure, and he receives favor from the Lord. Men, why don't you look over at your wife and say, baby, you're a treasure. Come on, you need to say, baby, you're a treasure. If your wife or your your spouse isn't, isn't with you, you need to make sure you text them and tell them, baby, you a treasure. Listen, let me tell you something. You know, it's important that we understand that relationships aren't our idea. Marriage isn't our, marriage is God's idea. And if marriage is God established, if it's God breathed, Don't you think that he would know how to make it prosper? What I want you to know is is God desires our relationships to prosper. God desires our, our, our marriages to prosper. The most famous scripture about prosperity and God knowing the plans for our lives is Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. Why don't you go ahead and say it with me? For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not disaster, to give you a future and a hope. See, God wants your relationships to prosper. God wants your marriage to prosper. God wants your life to prosper. God has a plan for your future. Why don't you go ahead and just praise God that the plans for his future aren't dependent on your goodness, but are dependent on what he has for your life. God has a good plan for you. Listen, you might not be married. You might, you might have, have been married at one time. You might be, be single at the moment and looking forward to marriage. I don't know what the dynamics are in your relationship, but I do know this, that God has a plan for you, God has a future for you, and it is a future of good, and he desires your life to flourish. So since God established marriage, I want you to know that he knows what it takes for it to flourish. So often we, we try to do our relationships and how we want them to do. We want to we handle our life, how how we want, but I want you to know that God has a way that is much better than man's way. God has a way that may not make sense to us at times, but it is a plan to prosper. I want to title my thoughts this morning: A Proverbs Guide to a Healthy Marriage. We're going to look at the book of Proverbs and get God ideas on how our marriages can flourish. Because if God created marriage, then surely he knows what it takes for it to prosper. Now listen, I understand that there are many listening that aren't married. You've had a a bad marriage, a marriage didn't end up how you were hoping. And the tendency in these moments is to close ourselves off from relationships or close ourselves off from conversations. Well, this doesn't apply to me. Listen, the Word of God will apply to our lives in every season, and there's gonna be things that you can take that you can carry into your next relationship. If you're single, go ahead and prepare for your marriage right now. If you've had a bad uh, marriage or a bad relationship in the past, listen, take these notes and say, All right, I'm gonna apply this to my life so that the relationships I have around me are going to be healthy. In Jesus' name. So let's dive right in. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. I really believe that we got to approach our relationships the same way that we approach every other aspect of our lives. What I've found, you know, even even if, if we're all honest with ourselves... When we approach our marriages, we approach it different than we, how we approach our jobs. Right. Sometimes we go, God, I need your help in my job. God, I don't know what I'm doing. I need your help in this. But when it comes to relationships, some way, somehow, we think we know it all, right? We, 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 we arrive as if I'm always right and the other person's wrong. And, 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 and we, we approach our relationships different than how we approach other areas of our life. You see, we, we say, God, I don't, I don't have the right answers. I need your answers. Good. we got to approach God and say, God, your ways are higher than my ways. So I lay down my ideas, the world's ideas of what healthy relationships look like. I lay down this preconceived. God, I lay it down, and I want to take on what you have for me. Yeah. And we sometimes think that God gives us guidelines to shame us, Guidelines for marriage to shame us. So we, what happens is we try to do things on our own. But I want you to know this. God doesn't give us guidelines to shame us. He gives us guidelines to shape us. God is in the business of shaping you to the image of Christ. God is in the business of shaping you into who God wants you to be. He's in the business of taking you to the bright future that he says in Jeremiah 29, 11. And he lays out some guidelines for relationships to say, hey, I'm not going to shame you. I want to shape you in your life. Yeah. See, God wants to prosper you. God wants to give you a hope. He wants to give you a future. But understand this. God will not prosper you at the expense of shaping you. God God isn't going to prosper you at the expense of shaping you. So it brings me to a question today that I want to add, a rhetorical question. How are you building your home? How are you building your, what is the atmosphere in your home with your kids, with yourself, with your roommates? How are you building your home? Proverbs 14.1 says, the wisest of women builds her house, but folly with their own hands tears it down. What is it saying here? The wise person builds up their own house, they don't tear it down. They're they're about building what God has put in front of them. They're not about tearing down what God has put in their life. You see, it seems obvious, but we all fall victim to this, that that we fight with our spouse. We fight in relationships, and we give them the silent treatment. You know, we go, I'm going to show them. You know, I'll teach them to hurt me, to ignore me, to to disappoint me. or, or, Or we try to get even with our words, right? We try to get even. Or we deliberately... Don't mow the lawn, men, right? Or we don't take out the trash. or We forget that appointment all to prove a point, to win an argument, to maintain our pride. But I want you to understand this. It's not an argument that we're winning. It's the house that we're tearing down. It's a relationship that we're not building up. It's a relationship that we are building down. So what do we end up doing? End up making ourselves miserable. We lose. And then we've caused it. And then... Tearing down our own house. It's called biting your nose to spite your face. It's what the scripture calls foolishness. It's how we can destroy the peace of our own house by our own hands. But what does the proverb say? The wisest of women builds her house. I'm going to say it like this. The wisest of people build their house. You may not know it, but you are building your house right now. You're building a house that your children are looking at, are learning from. You're building a, a home. So we're looking at three things today. How to build healthy relationships. How to build a healthy marriage. But what Proverbs says. Point number one, if you're taking notes, says is this. Stop the merry-go-round. Say that with me. Stop the merry-go-round. One more time. Stop the merry-go-round. Proverbs 23 it says, avoiding a fight is a mark of honor. Only fools insist on quarreling. Proverbs 17, 13. If you repay good with evil, evil will never leave your house. Proverbs 17, 14, starting a quarrel is like opening a floodgate. So stop before a dispute breaks out. I love Proverbs twenty six twenty. It says this, fire goes out without wood, and quarrels disappear when gossip starts. Come on, you want to know how to put out some drama in your life, in your relationships? Stop putting wood on the fire. Come on, that deserves a big old amen. Because listen... That's just practical wisdom. Yeah. You want to know how to just calm things down? Stop adding wood to it. Stop adding fuel to the fire. Proverbs 17:9 says, "Love prospers when a fault is forgiven, but dwelling on it separates close." Friends, Why don't we just take it back to the, to the wisdom that our mothers gave us growing up? If you don't got anything nice to say, come on, say it with me. Don't say anything at all. Come on. Why don't we just return to that simple truth? If we're going to build a healthy marriage and healthy relationships, we have to stop the merry-go-round. Yeah. We gotta stop the just going around the same circles, the same mountains, the same the, the, the same arguments. We gotta say, I'm gonna be a person that allows the argument to stop with me. Okay. See, we gotta be willing to lose the argument and apologize first. It's not worth winning if we lose relationship. It's wisdom. It's wisdom. See, I really believe this. It it, it takes a bigger man to admit a mistake. It takes a small type of man to have to say, I'm always right. I'm going to prove my point in every single moment. I want you to know if you do that, you will lose the spouse that God has brought you. But I want you to know this. We got to be people that stop the merry-go-round. Stop waiting for them and start doing it yourself. Choose to be the person that stops the merry-go-round. Listen, my daughter is is 20 months, and and my daughter is walking and and running, and she's laughing and talking up a storm. She just started swim lessons uh, this past week, and so she's learning how to swim. It's such a fun age. You know, she's about to turn two. It's just she she's a joy to be around. And one of her favorite things is is pre-COVID, she loved to go to to Disney World. And we go to Disney World and she sees the parades and she's she's Minnie Mouse. Like she loves Minnie Mouse. But but how many of you know, like at her age, there's not many rides that she can ride at Disney. And so when we go to Disney, there's one ride in particular that man she loves, and we ride it over and over and over again. It's the merry-go-round. And, and we ride the merry-go-round, and we get on that little horse, you know, like the horse, like it goes up, and it goes down, and it goes up, it goes down. And we ride it, and then it ends, and she goes, again, Daddy, again, again. She loves it. And so we'll ride it again. We'll go around uh, the merry-go-round again and again. And, and she goes, again, Daddy, again. And none of you know that for a young child, it is, it's adorable that she wants to keep riding the merry-go-round over and over and over again. But when you're an adult and you mature in life, the last thing you want to go and do at Disney World is the merry-go-round. Because there are things that children like to do, come on, that when you mature in your life and relationships, you don't do those things anymore. And it's time that we stop the merry-go-round in our relationships and we say, listen, we're we're not going to keep going at each other. We're going to pause and we're going to stop and we're going to stop the merry-go-round in our lives. Listen, for for the sake of your kids, stop the merry-go-round. It's time that we mature in our marriage and our relationships beyond the merry-go-round. Now, point number two is a good one. I love this one. It's a juicy one. Are you ready? Point number two from the book of Proverbs. I'm just letting the word of God preach today. If you're taking notes, you want to have a healthy marriage, here's what you got to do. You got to have sex. Come on. Come on. You got to have sex. Proverbs five fifteen through 19 says, drink water from your own cistern or from your own well. Share your love only with your wife. Why spill the water of your springs in the streets having sex with just anyone? You should reserve it for yourselves. Never share it with strangers. Let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. She is a loving deer and a graceful doe. Let her breasts satisfy you always. May you always be captivated by her. Very practically, sex is meant to be kept for a husband and a wife in the confines of marriage. Now listen, what did we say earlier? God doesn't give us guidelines to shame us. He gives us guidelines to shape us. That God has a way of doing things, an order of doing things, that is going to save you a lot of heartbreak. It's going to save you a lot of turmoil. It's going to actually be something that is going to build your marriage and build it fantastically. God has given sex for marriage as a tool for intimacy. It's a tool for intimacy. Verse 19 says that sex is what causes us to be captivated in love with our spouse. Focus on the family said this, Christian spouses should explore ways of giving sexually to each other to see their union as ministry and connection, not as a chore. Listen, sex isn't a chore. Sex is connection, physical emotional, and relational connection. And it is important that that as believers, we have healthy sexual appetites so that we in the confines of marriage can display to the world what good sexual morality is. In a world of sexual immorality, I believe God desires marriage to be a display of sexual morality. Proverbs, it says, set your mind on your spouse. Set your mind. Don't let your thoughts wander to others. Instead, become captivated with your spouse. See, marriage is where we dive deep into healthy sexual appetite. First Corinthians, Paul says it like this. In chapter 7, verses 1 through 6, I love how the message puts it. says this, now getting down to the questions you asked in, in your letter to me first. First, is it a good thing to have sexual relations? Now listen, there was a question in the early church. They were asking this, should we have sex? And here is what Paul's response is, certainly, but only within a certain context. It's good for a man to have a wife and for a woman to have a husband. Sexual drives are strong, but marriage is strong enough to contain them and provide for a balanced, fulfilling sexual life in a world of sexual disorder. The marriage bed must be a place of mutuality. The husband seeking to satisfy his wife, the wife seeking to satisfy her husband. Marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. Marriage is a decision to serve each other, whether in bed or out. Now, listen, that is such an important part of marriage. Marriage is about serving each other, not just in the bedroom, but in the living room, in the car, wherever you are. It is about serving one another. He says this, Abstaining from sex is permissible for a period of time if you both agree to it and if it's for the purposes of prayer and fasting but only for such times. Then come back together again. Satan has an ingenious way of tempting us when we least expect it. I'm not, understand, commanding these periods of abstinence, only providing my best counsel if you choose them. So what is Paul saying? Have sex. It is a tool that God has given your marriage... To grow in intimacy with each other. What is sex? Sex is not all about me, 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 me. Sex is about serving the other person. Listen, you might be listening, and you may say something like, well, you know, we're just not in love like we used to. We don't look like we did in our 20s. We just, you know, this and that. And, and, and there's going to be ways to say, so well, you know, we, there, there's reasons why we don't have sex or, or why we aren't in this feeling of love like we used to be when we were younger. Listen, do you want to feel like you're in love again? You want to feel like you did when you started dating and when you got married and your first couple years of marriage and how it was great. Well, listen, I want to give you a practical tool. In psychology, there's a term called praxis. Praxis is the practice that your emotions follow your actions. The idea is this. If you want to feel in love, start doing the things that you did when you were in love. Michelle Davis, who's a renowned family therapist, says this, women want to feel close and connected emotionally before they're physical. Men want connection on a physical level before they invest in meaningful conversations or quality time together. Both people end up going to their respective corners and waiting for the other person to change. We have to stop waiting for the other person to change, and we gotta start changing our actions. Michelle goes on to to say this it's this slow drip of disconnection over time that leads to people questioning their feelings about their spouse. And when this happens, irritability is a byproduct. People start focusing on everything they don't like about their partner, they micromanage how the dishwasher is loaded, how the partner chews their food, and how laundry is done right so how do we move towards a solution when our relationships have reached this point we got to ask this question what was different about your relationship when you enjoyed your spouse and your relationship more you know common answers or spontaneity before we had kids you know spontaneity you know we, we used to talk more you used to ask me how my day was. You used to not, not, not act like, like you were disgusted every time I asked a question. We had more sex. We went to the movies more. We tried, new, we tried new restaurants. Most of these things are possible to reproduce. Most of what we're saying that we miss are actually possible to do, to do again. And so we have to start doing now like you would win. Amen? Amen. Point number three today on Proverbs, you're going to have a healthy marriage. We have to listen first and speak second. Proverbs 12, 18 says, some people make cutting remarks, but the words of the wise bring healing. Proverbs 13, 3, those who control their tongue will have a long life. Opening your mouth can ruin everything. Come on. Proverbs 17, 28. Even fools are thought wise when they keep silent. With their mouths shut, they seem intelligent. Come on, you want to raise your IQ level, just be quiet a little bit. Proverbs ten nineteen. Too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth Shut I'm going to tell you like my youth pastor told me growing up, God gave you two ears and one mouth for twice the listening and half the talking. Come on, somebody. Pastor talked on this last week. You got got to listen a little more. And it keeps getting brought up. I mean, even before we started June family month, Pentecost Sunday, we had a whole day talking about listening. And God is trying to to tell us something in our spirits. God is trying to tell us something in our relationships. we got to start listening. And not just listening to get our point across, but listening to learn. We got to start listening to hear what the other person is telling us. We got to start listening to understand the viewpoint of the other person. We got to start listening to learn, not listening to say, well, here's how I can make my argument better. It's time we listen to learn. So often, right, we listen to make a point, but it's. Important that we hear what is bothering your spouse. Hear what is on your spouse's heart. Get past the arguing and offense and, and listen first. There's many times in marriage. We'll be driving in the car, my mind's just another place, and I'll notice, oh man, my wife's talking. Uh-oh. Uh, And I'm like, okay, I got to pick up on this conversation real quick so that when she asks me, did you hear what I said? I can at least give her back the main points, right? So men, we like to listen to the main points of the conversation, but we kind of forget the details a little bit. What is listening to learn? It's not just listening to the main points, it's listening to the details. When your spouse comes to you and says, hey, this is on my heart. This is something you did. I don't like. There's always a deeper root to the problem and deeper issue than just this, what's being spoken. And you'll never understand why she keeps telling you men to pick up your underwear off the floor every single time. And it gets a little more frustrating every single time. She's getting frustrated. Listen, and it's feeding into an unhealthy situation. Uh, dynamic in a relationship, and men, we got to start listening to learn. Women, listen to to learn. So I'm going to give you three tools for listening. Everybody can do this. and be really, really, really practical, three tools for listening. Number one, put your brain into gear before your mouth. I thought I would get a lot of amens from the women in the house today. Put your brain into gear before your mouth. When you come home from work and you see your spouse, put your brain into gear before your mouth. Listen, we we can stop there and learn a lot. Amen? Point uh, number two, tools for listening. Count to 10 before you let it rip. No, I'm talking about your mouth, gentlemen. I didn't hear that point that way until I just said it out that time. The other services might get a different different, uh, way. But count to ten before you let it rip. And it isn't going, listen, baby, you better get out the room because, listen, something's about to rip. No. Before you have, before you say it, just sit on it for a moment. But but before, there's just no recovering from this, is there? I'm trying to move on, ladies and gentlemen. But listen, before you say what's on your mind, just sit and just wait. Just count for a moment. What's another tool for listening? The third tool is this. Begin your sentences with I rather than you. Communication is one of the biggest downfalls of marriages, because when we start communicating to each other rudely, or not even rudely, but the other person isn't doing what our expectations are, and we communicate to each other as you, it feels like they're coming out Come on, you feel like your, your spouse ever coming at you, like, don't come at me like that. But listen, it's about changing how we frame conversations. Begin your conversations with I rather than you. You conversations look like this. You didn't do that. You didn't do this. You have been disrespecting me in this manner. You don't listen. But it's much harder to accuse and hurt when you start a sentence with I. I feel taken for granted when you don't clear the table for dinner, after dinner. I feel unheard when we're just driving down the road in the car and we're talking and you zone out. I feel this way. You see how how, how it's softer than you, but it even goes deeper than you. It says, hey, I respect you enough as a person that I've chosen to love for the rest of my life. I respect you enough to say, hey, I feel this way. Hey, I know I'm not perfect, and I do this. I, I, I want you to know how I, it's important to use I rather than you. I want you to do this. Think of your words as gifts. Think of your words as gifts. Proverbs 16, 23, from a wise mind comes wise speech. The words of the wise are, the words of the wise are like honey, sweet to the soul and healthy. For the body. Listen first and speak second doesn't mean that you should not say anything at all. It just means that we gotta say, I'm gonna think of my words as gifts. And when in relationships, my spouse, in my relationship with my kids. When I give them a gift with my words, is the present they going to open up going to be like honey to them or is it going to be like coal in their stocking? Seeing our words as gifts, are, are, are we putting our brain into gear before we put our mouth into gear? Ask ourselves, how can what I'm about to say build up my relationships. Think of your words like honey that are sweet to the soul and healthy for the body. Are the words you're speaking adding life, building up your marriage, or the taking away and tearing down? It's important that we do not forget Marriage is a gift from God. Your spouse is treasure. I understand the difficulties of marriage. I understand the the difficulties of relationships. And and, and the hard thing about relationships is 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 relationships are a two-way street. You can be trying to make it work in a relationship, but... If the other person isn't, it's going to be a rough road. You can't control other people. You can only control what you do. So it's time that we, we stop going around the merry-go-round. It's time that as believers in marriage, we show the world what a healthy sexual appetite is meant to look like and what sexual morality is. And it's time that we listen first and speak second. Listen, God knows what it takes for your marriage to flourish. God knows because he created marriage. And the tools of the word of God are not there to shame us. They are there to shape us because God knows what it takes to shape your marriage. We gotta stop waiting for the fairy godmother just to come and fix it all. And we gotta say, I'm gonna start doing my part See, so there might be things in your marriage, in your relationships, that you gotta say, these were not God's ideas. These are my ideas. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there's a path before every person that seems right, but in the end, it leads to death. And reminded of Proverbs 3, 5, what did it say? Trust in the Lord with all your heart, do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you the path to take. What is it saying? Hey, the path that you think is right that the world thinks is right in relationships may not be right and it's going to lead to death but the promise is this if you seek the will of God for your relationship, you seek the will of God for your marriage, you seek the will of God for every aspect of your life, he will show you the path to take and it will lead to a life of prosperity and hope and a bright future why don't you give God's